G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to this pre-round 22 edition of the Footyology Podcast. Very good morning to you, Mark Fine. Good morning, and I'd like to wish a good morning, afternoon or evening to a dynamic that I've been made aware of, listeners overseas, because I was told of a, a good family friend whose son keeps in contact with football in of all places, you'll like this one, the United Arab Emirates through ah. Footyology. Ah, what's his name? Have we got a name? I think his name's Robbie. Okay. Well, there's a lot of... Uh, lot but, he, of... He, but his mum's name's Cecile, so... Okay, well, very uh, good evening, morning, whatever, to you, Robbie, and Cecile. It's a big expat community over there working in various <laughs> industries. Yeah, I'm sort of thinking some... Um, and being very careful about their social alco- activities. Yeah, I'm, saying, I'm, I'm, thinking of, I'm thinking of a uh, uh, speakeasy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no, Be- beers and footyology <laughs> in some clandestine ga- a clandestine gathering. I spent three days in Abu Dhabi and never went out of the hotel. But that was the idea. It was a pretty luxurious hotel. You know, apparently in, in Saudi Arabia, I don't know if it's still the case, for a foreigner to drink alcohol outside the hotel, you have to declare yourself an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> I heard Colin Miller talk about it on okay. those great interviews on um, Fox Sports. Is that with Crash Craddock? The, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And he said he had to fill out a form that he was an alcoholic so oh, he could plenty, drink. Plenty of my uh, old colleagues wouldn't have had any problem with that at all. All right, let's uh, get into it. Fair bit on the agenda. Um, news-wise, a couple of things have caught my eye. One, um, we'll get onto it a bit. It's about the... No, in fact, we'll do this quickly. It's the reverse Bradbury effect. I've been going on about this for a couple of weeks now, but I just it just seems to me like we've got one side out in front that any sort of tiny obstacle has just swatted away without problems. And all... And that is Richmond, obviously, and all the... Other contenders are just running headlong into trouble, i.e. injuries, suspensions. And, um, you know, look, anything could happen still, but all things being equal at the moment, it's looking like Richmond's flag to lose for me. Just before I touch on that, I love the term reverse Bradbury. Yeah. There might be those people out there who are not familiar with the term. A reverse Bradbury is... The opposite of what Bradbury did. Now, the reason that's a funny definition is because it sort of assumes that everybody knows that Steve Bradbury was a gold medalist because everybody fell over in... in... Don't they? Don't you think people know that? It's not that long. That was 2002. Yeah, that's 16, okay, no, okay. 16 years ago. Right. I reckon we've got listeners who are, are 20. Okay, all right. Well, in a nutshell, Stephen Bradbury at the Salt Lake City Winter Olympics was a distant last in the final of the, I think it was the 1,000 metres speed skating, and all the front runners crashed into each other, fell in a heap, and he just cruised <laughs> cruised to the finish line. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of an episode of Minder where 
Arthur Daly was on a jury and, and making a case for the uh, person charged with the crime said, now you only need to look at his boat to realise that he's innocent. And there's an Indian woman on the jury and she says, what is boat? He goes, sorry, madam, boat race. Oh. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about a few of those contenders. So yes, okay. Two, uh, the two latest to take a massive hit are Port Adelaide and Melbourne. So Melbourne, Jesse Hogan, done for the year. He's got a navicular injury. Uh, Port Adelaide, Charlie Dixon, done for the year, broke a uh, fractured bone in his leg. And uh, Ryder, hip flexor injury, which he's struggled with all year. Um, now... The Port one, I think that's the end of them. The Melbourne one, I don't think that Hogan is the fatal blow, but I think they've already taken the fatal blow, which is their inability to to beat sides around the mark. They're zero and seven against top nine teams. I, I tried to drill down a little bit further into the Demons, and they're very good. Um, they're sort of like Hawthorne were about ten years ago. They're very good at preventing opposition. Uh, entries into their defensive 50, but when the opposition get in there, they score heavily. So they concede it's around 25% of opposition forward entries end up in goals, which is about the fourth worst in the league. They're good at all those, yeah, contestable, uh, tackles. Um, they're good at, they're, they're ranked quite high for a lot of those numbers. What are they, they what are their conversion rates like? Uh, I didn't actually check that up, but they are the highest scoring side in the league. Yeah, well, by I was going to say that they do see. Oh, they score heavily. They finish their work off against these teams that they're beating outside the top seven. Yeah, no, they've, they've absolutely smashed weak opposition. So they're the only side averaging over 100 points per game. It's about 104 per yeah. game. Um, but they haven't got the balance right. And it's sort of ironic, isn't it? Because uh, Paul Roos you know, sort of spent three or four years getting that harder defensive edge, and then they flicked the switch a bit and became more attacking. And now the balance, I think, seems to be out of kilter again. Look, I, it's a really good observation. Well, it's not a great observation. It's obvious, but... No, it is. But, but, no, I'm saying, but drawing, <laughs> no, but drawing, the, drawing on that inability to perform equally and get the numbers right against better opposition brings sharply into focus how important the loss of Jesse Hogan is because whilst numerically Jesse Hogan is not the answer or has not been the reason why Melbourne have against certain teams really been rampant I still believe that a key forward who can mark the ball can be a match winner and given that they haven't being able to beat top seven opposition, they need an X factor to beat them. And that X factor would have fallen to Petrarca or Hogan. Yeah. And I think half of them is now gone. T- Tom McDonald's been very good. But yeah, but no. He's a steady performer. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think it's a good point. What about, um, for me, uh, Dixon is the final nail in the port. Absolutely. Uh, the, the downturn for them has been remarkable. They won seven out of eight. The end of round 16, after they beat the Saints, they were fourth. They've since lost four of five, three of them narrowly, two of them. The last two games they've lost after leading by the best part of two goals with about two minutes left. Well, if football was a relay and Port Adelaide passed the baton to Essendon, you've got the best team in the competition. You've got one team that for the first two months of the season looked every bit the contender. Yeah. And now you've got a team running on that's every bit the contender but might miss out. Mm. In Port Adelaide's case, 
I think they were fatally wounded before Dixon went down. Now, I'm not saying that teams got wise to their style of football or that there was an enormous drop-off by Port Adelaide, but their inability to finish their work in the last two weeks, I think, speaks more of Paddy Ryder's inability to play out games. Yeah. Big men are very important at the end of games of close games of footy. I've got grave fears about his either return or fit return. Uh, compounding that is, well, Dixon is a step too far. The way he plays makes him irreplaceable. There are no other Charlie Dixons. No, well, particularly with them, given here's the um, last year. Now, they went out of the finals in week one, but they were a very solid team. They were two, they were second in the league for scoring, and but they were also second for yep. scores against. No other side had that good a balance. This year, at the moment, they are ranked 13th for scores. So the whole forward setup has really uh, not imploded, but it's it's fallen over. And well, Robbie Gray has not proved to be as deadly, let's say, in front of goal. He's not as consistent this yeah. year. And Dixon, I, you know, as a competitor and a target, Dixon, I, I'm a big Dixon fan. I reckon he's great. So, but he only kicked a couple of goals in the first. In that good period, he would have been probably after eight games less than ten goals. So he hasn't hit the scoreboard the same way. So there's there's two. They're the latest sort of uh, sides on the skids. Uh, the Cats are an interesting one. Now, they've had a really tough draw. They've played 12 games against top eight oh, opponents. Oh, give me a break. No, no, that 12 games is a heap. Yeah, but they do have a home ground. Yeah, no, they do. They do. I, my take on them is, um, now, the injuries isn't so much a factor for them. They had, sure, they had Taylor Henderson out earlier in the year, but they're key players. And a good stat I read yesterday, the five key midfielders, Ablett, Selwood, Dangerfield, Duncan Kelly have played 93 of a possible 100 games. So their best and players... Men, and Menegola, he's yeah, been there yeah. every week. And their best... And Hawkins has had a really good season. Spot on. So their best players have been there and are playing good footy, and yet they're still not good enough. They, to me, are the classic good enough to go so far, but not good enough to win it team. Yeah, well, uh, you know my take on them. Because of their Cardinia Park... You reckon they're inflated? They're, yeah, yeah. I just think it skews it. And when I say inflated, I'm only talking about maybe between one and a half and three wins a year, but that can be five ladder positions. Yeah, yeah. That's a big difference. So do, do you agree? And I'm not saying it's unfair either. Don't When I say inflated, I'm just mm. saying that other teams do not, in Victoria certainly, do not have that safe haven of getting back to a home ground that is a fortress. Oh, it's a huge advantage. And a lot of teams... Chuck in the towel before they even yeah. play there. Yeah, there was some, of the, some and... of the interstate sides yeah. have. Now, of those 12 games against top eight opponents, they've won six, lost six. Yep. Of the six they've lost, now they've been very competitive. Not one of those losses has been by any more than 18 points. But there are two ways of interpreting that. One is, oh, geez, we're close, we're close. The other one is, we, we, we're just not good enough to have that extra push over the cliff. You know, just my own gut feel, and you know, I know that you've worked the numbers really well, but my own feeling is that they're a better team than last year. They're not going to finish top four. They're not going to make the preliminary final, most likely. But to me, they're better placed for the future because of the likes of Kelly, mm. uh, because they've transitioned without Harry Taylor into the future. Yeah, Henry's been a good find. Yeah, look, Radagola before yeah. he went down. Yeah, yeah was a very promising yeah, he was. type of tall. They've got options beyond Smith, uh, pardon me, yeah, Smith and Stanley in the ruck that are limited. 
Mm. And their midfield, I don't really believe that Ablett, you know, if, if people thought that add Ablett to Selwood and Dangerfield and you've got a potential premiership winning team, I never felt that anyhow. But I've been very impressed, impressed by the addition of Kelly, the consistency, oh, of, the consistency of Menegola. They need a small forward and they need something quicker a couple of players quicker off the back line. But I think they're well-placed for the future. All right, we'll run through these uh, quicker. GWS. Um, a lot of injuries. A lot of injuries. And I think, you know, we know how good their best can be. But I just, I've got, I've got big doubts about them on the MCG. And I, I haven't even sort of seen their recent record. They beat Collingwood there in, in round two. They've got Melbourne there in that, um, is that? Hang on, is that this week or final game? Final game. Final game, yeah, okay. I reckon to win a big final on the G, they need all hands on deck, and they just haven't got them. Yeah, I think they're... Yeah, they need Scully. They need... Uh, well, I see... Um, uh, Toby Green? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Williams is, I think, returning this week in the NEFL, So, but it, geez, he's missed a, whole, yeah, missed a whole year. So I'm not sure they've. They, I'm not sure they've quite got the armory. Um, and they've lost Heath Shaw. So they. That was the other one. Yeah. They, they've become so conditioned to use him as the way out of the back line. Yeah. That Williams is going to have to come back pretty soon, isn't he? But he's hardly going to be able to fill that breach of the G. Yeah. Well, sure. If he gets back at all, it'd only be for like the last two, you know, grand final and preliminary final. Yeah. Um, Collingwood, you know, they've probably been the most injured team, which makes their efforts pretty commendable. But, um, I mean, last week they, their official injury list had 15 on it, and I went through it, and I reckon 10 of them were probably in their best side. Okay, that, I agree with that. But of those 15 and the 10 that are in their best side, I really believe that only two, maybe three of them, are sort of irreplaceable. Well, Trelaw, one of them, Howe, is back this week, probably. Yeah, yeah. And Jamie Elliott would have provided something extra special, but they've learned to live without him. People have to realise that, look, yeah, certain players aren't playing, so there's no Lyndon Dunn, mm. but what they've been able to do in replacing him and moving players around, yeah. without the injuries, would Majacek, for example, Have be playing as much football? And he's going, he's going great guys. No, no, it's a, it's a fair point, and I was, I was thinking that myself. The mix they've ended up with is quite different to what you would have envisaged. Funnily enough, the one guy, and yeah, he, he's veteran and he's injured and whatever, but... I reckon every time Wells has played for them, they've looked a better side. Yeah, but that's like purchasing a, a 1968 MG and then complaining that it's always at the mechanics. <laughs> yeah. What were you expecting? Well, I wanted to take it for a spin. Yeah, I'm saying, you know, <laughs> really? Are you surprised? So I, I reckon um, I can't see them winning it. So we're whittling away. Well, well the one thing about Collingwood is because they're still getting results with these... Basically, full list, a test of the full list. Mm. It goes back to the almost bulldog's bull blueprint of 2016. Yeah. And it does give them a level of unpredictability that is hard to coach against, hard to prepare against. If that team could get through to the grand final, see, I don't think they will. I think they'll run into a West Coast in Perth and then... It'll be a bridge too far. But if they got there on the day, that makes it a tricky assignment for any team to play them, doesn't it? Because yeah. you, you don't quite know what you're playing against, but you know it can win. Yeah. 
Well, look, uh, you know, I've been, as you know, I've been doing a lot of ladder predicting stuff now. But and, I, and I predict you'll get it right. Eventually. After round 23, you'll be pretty close. <laughs> yes. Well, the one team we haven't mentioned here, and they now, well, this week for me at least, are looming as very, very big chance if they get a top four chance. And that will come down to the last game. And I speak, of course, of the Hawks. Something about... The Hawks, which I think they have over all their rivals, perhaps even Richmond in this, is the number of senior players with cool heads who are good decision makers who consistently do the right things. Gunston, Bruce, Stratton, Burgoyne, Shields, they have great decision makers. And what else have they got in common, those players? They're triple A great premier- coach. Well, they're triple or sometimes four-time. Yeah. Yeah, premiership players. Now, that means the deeper they go into September, the more alien that experience will be for their opponents. If they play Collingwood, Collingwood will have, you know, no... They'll have a couple of premiership players left from 2010. Mm. Very little experience. Port Adelaide, a bit more finals experience. But the deeper they go... They've, they've got more grand final experience than Richmond, so yeah. the longer they're alive, the harder they'll be to kill. No, I think they're a big chance. Now, we're, if we don't mention these two, I can people are going to jack up about it, so I'll do it quickly. Uh, West Coast and Sydney. Sydney not quite good enough? That is now, I think, pretty clear. It, it became obvious to me when Richmond gave them a good lesson at Etihad, where Sydney play well, mm. and Richmond less well than the G, and... Do the math on that, and I don't think they can win the flag. I agree. Uh, West Coast, I, I've been a big believer in West Coast this year, but I still think no Natanui plus no Gaff plus doubts on Kennedy is a bridge too far. And your reverse Bradbury looms large with West Coast because yeah. if they finish second, <clears throat> they may well craft their way into a grand final with two uh, uh, West Australian home finals mm. against injured type opposition and who do Richmond face on grand final day West Coast improved this year at the MCG yeah but still painfully short in their grand final appearance there three years ago and injured with the key components not playing what a beautiful thing that would be for the Tigers if that's their opponent it's almost a double-edged sword that home finals thing isn't it because it gets them there but then does it actually sort of mitigate against them because and prepare them yeah you know they have not played at that ground from up there will be huge doubts in their own minds yeah yeah well that that win over Collingwood was a ripper that was the one that said to me they can do it but unfortunately that was also the day they lost Nat Nui and then since then you know, well, Kennedy injured again, Gaff suspended. All right, that's the state of play uh, this week. Uh, and after a whole lot of upsets, no doubt, we'll throw it all out and say something completely different next week. I want to talk quickly about your Saints, Finey, because they've been in the news. but been a re- For all the wrong reasons. Well, really, really disappointing season. Um, so there's murmuring. I hate that when people say that. It's disappointing for me. Okay. Oh, it's disappointing for oh, Has it disappointed you? Right. <laughs> I've been able to live with it. <laughs> well, it certainly hasn't given me any joy, put it that way. I'm, I'm... You could, you know how it should be described by non-St. Kilda people? What? As a very poor season okay. to a terrible season. Yeah, no, very poor season. Correct. Um, 
All right, so a couple of things floating around as we record this. One is uh, Nick Rewalt being approached to have some sort of role back at the club. Hopefully it's a centre-half forward. Yes, yes. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, former CEO Jim Watts sort of stepping back in as president. Uh, I think Andrew Thompson's going to leave the board. Um, Andrew Bassett, uh, who is on the board, talk about him maybe being president. Yep. This was all sort of a couple of litres of petrol thrown on this fire by Grant Thomas, not unusually for Tomo, who said on radio, I've written down the quote, he said, you can have bad coaching appointments. It doesn't mean it should end up as an unmitigated disaster. You can actually do things. And now he's talking here about Peter Summers, the president, and Matt Finnis, the CEO. He says it gets amplified when you have senior people around um, that poor coaching decision that aren't competent enough. At the moment, you've got Peter Summers and Matt Finnis. I'm not sure they're at the cutting edge of what's required to be successful. They seem to me to be quite pedestrian. Now, just before you go, I, like I, I have no great feelings about this either way. I will say though that a lot of this sort of speculation about you've never, I've never seen board speculation or or criticism of the administration when a side is performing well on the field. It just doesn't happen. There's this sort of um, linkage of the two things. And I don't know, even Grant Thomas, and obviously he'd hear plenty, but how do we actually prove that Peter Summers and Matt Finnis are pedestrian and not doing enough around the club? Don't forget also that, you know, the six months before Richmond won their flag, there was talk of it, well, there was a, an actual real... Richmond, you know, challenge, challenge group to the Richmond administration, which was hosed down. Uh, and then people will sort of read, uh, put two and two together and say, oh, well, that gave them the necessary kick up the bum. But you know what I'm saying? Like, how, how do you, how, if someone says to me, Matt Finnis and Peter Summers are pedestrian in their administration of this club, I want to know how they've been pedestrian. Well, first of all, uh, there are a lot of clubs now and in the future that will take some solace and it'll provide safe harbour for their own poor performance on and off the field to point to the Richmond model that saw them go from criticised going nowhere six months to becoming a superpower. And Geelong 10 years ago too, they sure. did the same thing. Yeah. Um, if St Kilda had taken Bontempelli ahead of Billings and Petrarca ahead of McCartan, then I would describe us as a like sleeping giant because we would have the on-field tools to turn it around with a few um, changes to the a few sort of um, changes at the periphery of the operation rather than a complete change of operatives altogether. St Kilda doesn't have that. St Kilda is going nowhere and they're doing it in a very, unfortunately not in a hurry, they're doing it in a very laborious manner. First of all, let's draw the distinction between Summers and Finnis. Peter Summers, like most chief executives, presidents, you know, um, head of boards at football club, does so in an honorary capacity. It remains one of the sort of question marks over the running of a multi-million dollar huge organisation that an AFL club is, that you would have a board that is unpaid. So he puts in a lot of work, but he still has his own professional life. I don't know, I can't criticise him Criticise him out of hand. I've seen his board oversee the return to Moorabbin, 
which has been a, a wise, successful move uh, so far. As far as Matt Finnis, the day-to-day running of the club, well, does it stretch to on-field? Well, to a point, I mean, the appointments of various positions, I mean, they've just appointed a new list manager, uh, James Gallagher. Yeah, the former, former Adelaide, Adelaide player. player. Who knows? Yeah, well, that, that's my point here. And and th- me saying that, it's not to say, oh, yeah, look, the, they are doing a great job, leave them alone. Maybe, maybe those criticisms are, are right. I'm just mm-hmm. always a bit sceptical about it because I think, you know, it's people just sort of assuming stuff. Now, Matt Finnis... From my observation, I've always had this feeling about CEOs. You know, what what actually is a good, what does a good AFL CEO do? You know, like, did anyone say that Brian Cook was a great CEO before Geelong started winning flags? Yeah. You know, there's always this thing. Now, Matt Finnis, my observations of Matt Finnis, he's certainly done a lot in that community space. And it's very When, when he came to St Kilda, there was a real um, emphasis on becoming a a more, you know, St Kilda had just gone through the schoolgirl affair, let's yeah. call it that, and a couple of other off-field issues that yeah. certainly raised the um, hackles of Caroline Wilson, and she was targeting St Kilda in the paper. And he came via the AFL with a real sort of politically correct agenda. Yeah. It saw the appointment to the coaching staff of Peter Searle, mm. which ruffled a few feathers, a female, and not because she's female, but because the level that which she coached at was not commensurate with an appointment to an AFL club. Um, and what, what about all, things all like... All of a sudden, St Kilda were sort of the poster boys for mm. equality and all that is right in political correctness after having been the bad boys. But I, I see, I think that's important, though. And, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just yeah, saying that's what yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, I think it's important. And, it's, and again, when a side on the field is underperforming, it becomes very easy for people to say, oh, you know, here they are worrying about pride game and all this sort of stuff. You know, what about on-field? Well, it doesn't mean that on-field has been neglected. And I think that given that cultural, you know, sort of baggage they were carrying, what a lot of what Finnis has done has been well, necessary been, and commendable. If that, if his target was to rebrand St Kilda mm. uh, as, a, as a as a club that would not be polarising to women or families or to those who comment about such matters, mm. he was almost instantly effective. So tick there. And the most the most important part of it, I reckon you'd agree, is the shift back to Moorabbin. Yeah, they definitely that's, lost their identity oh, no, going that, down to Seaford. That's been a successful move. Yeah. Now, I'll say this, that knowing people within the club and even connected to the board, interestingly, Matt Finnis is a bit on the nose and Simon Lethleen is the new pin-up boy. Yeah, and why is that? I just wonder how that happens. Well, <laughs> well, well he's because seen... people are, are more familiar with his uh, work in the football space well, than Matt people, people, it's People observing believe that his aggressive attitude to recruiting and even to the to the coaching position is in line with a club in crisis rather than you know just cruising along which seems to be more associated with fitness now there is a problem clubs need to fans need to understand that they are much more passionate about a football club and they care more about a club than the people actually running it and working at the club and for a lot of those people and, and the people in charge of those people, it's about keeping your job till next year. You know, 
it's a successful year at a football club for a lot of the backroom staff and even the football staff. If when they say goodbye at Christmas, they know they're coming back in early January, mm. regardless of the ladder position. And I know the Bulldogs rolled on with that dynamic for a while and the shake-up had good effect. Now, you know, the reality is if... The, the truth is St Kilda's going nowhere. They are absolutely going nowhere, and nothing could be more stark than on Saturday, and then the game on Friday night. You know, 10 minutes into the last quarter, St Kilda had pulled it back to 28 points. And I turned around, and I said to the pe- people I was watching with, I said, this is ridiculous, but St Kilda should win this game. Essendon had no interchange, and St Kilda were running over the top of them. There was no fire, no appetite, no. no desire to win that game. Well, you could feel it. In the, I was sitting in the crowd. You yeah. could feel that in the crowd too. That, that game was there for the taking. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And of... there was a key moment there where I think uh, Billings took that mark and then played on and tried to kick the goal and they yep. squandered and that was the end St. of it. St Kilda should have rattled at Essendon with yeah. any passion or care whatsoever so, and they don't have it. But just to take that to its logical conclusion, if we accept now the list is deficient and this... It's not as deficient they're, I'm telling you, the list is better than how they perform. Okay, okay. So um, that gets that's a whole other discussion. But couldn't my playing devil's advocate, if we decided that was definitely the case, couldn't this same administration affect those changes on the field? Do, would you need? Do you need to throw out this administration to change dramatically the on-field game plan? You don't. No, because step one is going to be to retain Alan Richardson and change all of his deputies, yeah. a la Richmond. Yeah. So they are going to go down that track. Yeah. I'm saying that it will not be nowhere near as stark or as incredibly effective as Richmond mm. because St Kilda don't have the three or four stars to go all the way, but it can be enough to turn a team flirting with the spoon into a team flirting with the eight. So if they do that, they surround him with different assistants, they become more dynamic, there's a couple of decent pickups in the trade period or whatever, then a lot of the people saying that this is a pedestrian administration will turn around saying they're inspired, they're fingers on the pulse. As I said, Summers, I don't think you can question... No, I've got no question marks on Summers. And Finnis... If left lean's effective, then Finnis is not a pup who's wet behind the ears. Maybe there's a, a changing of responsibilities or a, a different separation in terms of what they do. But I don't see getting rid of Matt Finnis for Mr. X improves the situation no, and, at all. And left lean is a, a more visible figure and he's, more, uh, he's got more of a media profile. So maybe that really complements what Finnis does in that off-field space. And, I, and, I, and now, I, I just in touching on it, if St Kilda want to maintain their new squeaky clean image, Lethaline does not have that, and maybe Finnis is necessary as a counterbalance. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. All right, uh, we've gone a bit over time there, but uh, decent discussion. Let's move on to you know what segment's coming up now. <laughs> On Footyology Media Watch. Rightio, Finey. Well, uh, Friday night footy, pretty big towards the end of the year and uh, will be again this week with a massive Richmond-Essendon game. Uh, Bombers have got to win. Tigers don't need to win. So a few people just wondering if this might give the Dons a, a decent chance. But from a Media Watch perspective, 
Um, I was thinking about uh, the Friday night coverage, and if you watch it on Seven, they dress it up, and it's all the bells and whistles and stuff. If you watch it on Fox, uh, they really go full on with their Friday night coverage now as well, to the extent where we have an absolute cast of thousands. Now, um, I'm sure most people are aware, but uh, Friday nights, Fox footy, take the Channel 7 call. This means, by my estimates, you've got a total of 13 people having a voice or having some sort of input into the game coverage. So if you watch it through Fox, you've got four people on a panel, Eddie Maguire as host, and then three former players sitting with him on the panel. You've got two guys in the lab, uh, you, David King and one other one, or often Jared Healy or someone else. You've got one Fox person they cross to at the ground, both pre-game, half-time and after the game. You've got someone in the newsroom breathlessly updating the injuries and uh, you know uh, potential reports situation. Plus, then you throw to the Channel 7 coverage of the game, you've got two play-by-play callers, two special comments blokes, and one person on the boundary. Now, that is four, six, seven, eight, twelve, thirteen voices in a coverage of one game. I reckon that's too many. Haven't, haven't you heard the joke? What? How many people does it take to call a game of AFL football? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What is it? One to call it, yeah. one to provide special comments, and 11 to F dot dot CK it up. Yeah, well, well, the thing is that I mean, that's, that's all that's all they're doing is have they not watched the beautiful British commentary of soccer? Well, we contrast this a bit, and you know they're different games, but every EPL game has one play-by-play caller and one comments person, and that might ch- maybe that changes. No, in fact, that's a format I think is pretty religiously followed. I'm pretty sure American major sport never well, has well, more than two or three. They have more commentators than Monday night NFL football. And NFL football requires more commentators with play-by-play and etc. And they've outstripped them by four or five. But it, it, sort of, it defeats its own purpose, doesn't it? Now, you can see what they're thinking here. Well, publicly, what they're thinking is, you know, we've got all these great authority voices. We've got to use them. But all that does, when you have that many, it diminishes the impact of the really credible voices you have because it's just everyone desperately trying to get a word in. And because they get so few opportunities with so many people, it's sort of like everything they say has to be absolute, you know, cut through, resonate. So you can see the bar going up and up on, okay, I've got to say something controversial or outrageous. And they sort of egg each other on, but it's almost like, I look at it now and I almost sort of feel sorry for these guys, it's sort of like Fox have employed too many people, and Seven as well, and they've sort of got, oh, well we've got to find something for them to do, and it's it it's too much. Can't, can't you see the perfect parody of this? I mean, I, I can already see it in my mind's eye, so you've got a, a game of football being over-commentated, then at half-time... They cross to uh, Kingy, who's in fishnet stockings. <laughs> what? Wait, 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 wait. He's in fishnet stockings, high heels, lipstick, and he goes, come up to the lab <laughs> for an audio grab. No, I, I, 
don't want to sort of picture Kitty well, wearing fishnets, thanks. Well, you know, it's it's like, you know, he's not a sweet transvestite. He's a sweet analyst because... Oh, you've gone the Rocky Horror well, Show. Well, that's yeah, what it right, is. Okay, Come yeah. up to the lab yeah. for my <laughs> audio grab. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, they've renamed it because it used to be the War Room. It's a new statistic. Do you reckon they changed it from the War Room just as a bit of PC? Yeah, yeah. Somebody PC would have complained. Somebody would have but, complained but they reckon it. if it's a, I reckon if it's a lab, they should be wearing white coats. Well, that's why they? I reckon they should be wearing fishnet stockings <laughs> and and sort of um, you know who they could you know who they could employ. It should be Kingy and remember Brett Thornton, who used to play for Carlton. Uh, not sorry, the other Scott Thornton who played for Fremantle. Oh yeah, yeah. Who was um, who was Frankenfurter's offsider with the long, straggly blonde oh, hair? I only saw Rocky Not Horror Show Nick Um Yeah, he, he had that same hair. He looked like <laughs> Scott Thornton. <laughs> God, you come up with some weird analogies. Well, that's up to the lab. So, well, what what is for a well, game? I mean, that's how silly it is for a game of AFL football. What do we want? I reckon on a, a really. Because it's a faster pace commentary than soccer, two commentators, two special comments men. And then what about pre-game and and a boundary rider and pre-game and stuff? Make them work. Let them work pre-game. Let them discuss the game. If they're quality operatives, you'll have three ex AFL footballers and in, in, in the two commentary roles and on the boundary. Yeah, potentially, um, and. Two excellent commentators who were good football analysts. Well, the component of this I forgot to mention is, so you've got that pre-game panel of four at Fox, hosted by Eddie. But Eddie sort of... Riffraff, by the way, is the name of Scott Thornton's character. Okay. Makes me think of that ACDC song. But Eddie, as host, can't just be a host. Eddie wants to come in and have his two bobs worth as well. So you could almost make Eddie two people, because he's not just host, but he's a panelist as well. Um, Maybe uh, he should be a narrator. His role could be played by Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Just isn't, a, the, isn't Morgan Freeman always the sort of kindly old janitor with, a, a, with, a, a, with a heart of gold? He's a great all. narrator. This game was going nowhere until... But seriously, like contrast those numbers. 13 people as opposed to two. Like well, This has got completely out of whack. And whack. the thing is, as you say, they are looking... They're, each of them are seeking oxygen... Yeah. Some do it far better than others. The best example of how they can make themselves best used is by making their point through video imagery, because we're talking about the TV coverage. Which is the lab guys. Well, I speak of Nasser Hussain and what role he plays in British cricket commentary. Yeah, yeah. And then go back to Dermot Brereton's analysis of Jesse Hogan Mm. when he was out of form recently showing that he'd stopped going for marks and become almost a crummer in the forward line. That, by the way, prompted a change in how Jesse played. And prior to his injury, he was back covering more ground and taking marks. It worked. It was football analysis done well. I just I just had a thought. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and video examples always make it more um, digestible, don't they? And to that end... Here's something, uh, it just occurred to me then, here's something surely which could um, work to the aid of the viewer, and that is, I spent a bit of time with a a club analyst um, last week, and they were showing me some of the vision they use, and 
a lot, most of the vision that they look at in their reviews is down the ground footage, yeah, which the clubs are so. given access yeah, to. Yeah, very much so. So, but my point here is the clubs are given access to that. Surely the broadcasters could be given access to that too. Yep. Nothing, I can tell you after, and we've all seen tiny little bits of it, but nothing illustrates a point better about where players are positioned and side structures and whatever than that down the ground footage. So right. why don't Fox or Seven get that? Because they're... Here's another one. Sorry, I'm just yeah, thinking no, on big, the fly big, here. They, but... they, they fill up their commentary with dreck. I'll give you three or four things that mean nothing to football okay, well, fans. Hang on, just first. Here's Channel 7, right? They're trying to... Why don't Channel 7 ever show you any stats? They don't show enough stats. No, you're right. They don't. Well, why not? Um, they think that's too eggheady for their audience. Or to comprehensively show stats, you need to show 44 players. Do you run it as a ticker tape down the bottom? They're more beholding to fantasy scores at half time than they are to actual football stats. They have little, you know, they have that score box there and they'll they'll put up stats superimposed on the score box. But... What you really want to see, I reckon, is that head-to-head comparison. And if you go the you know what I'd love to see, which what? is absolutely doable. Every time the ball goes back to the centre, mm. a box with those two ruckman's ruck stats. Yeah, well, you never get I, that because most of the time you get back out, from the ad break. Just quickly hit out, you know, a little box. Yeah. Player name. Yeah. Hit outs to advantage. Yeah. Hit outs, hit outs to advantage. And maybe the season average. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, all you all you need, um, if you go to the AFL website, their match coverage, they've got that little panel up at top, and it's got uh, kicks, marks, handballs, disposals, uh, contested possession, tackles, marks inside fifty, hitouts, blah blah blah. You just need that head versus uh, head to head comparison, and they uh, they just they don't do it. You know, it'd be really interesting if you had that hit out stat on the screen, and the broadcast could. Broadcaster, broadcaster could tap straight in to the official AFL stats. Wouldn't it be great when a, the ruck contest was competed for? You'd see who was given the hit out and yeah. whether it was considered to advantage. Yeah, yeah. All right, look. Um... Just one, one last one on that is how there is stuff there that I'm not. I'm a. I'm a football. I cover football, and I'm a football anorak. And I just find them... Well, you're t- a raincoat. Well, that's what they call footy nerds in, in, oh, okay. in England, anoraks. Yeah. Um, and I just find them completely useless stats that, for some reason, they think people are beholding to. I don't... Heat maps mean nothing oh, no, to me. Oh, no, heat maps are crap. Kilometres travelled mean nothing to me. I know that there are players who cover a lot of ground. It, it's how the game is played. Yeah. You know, I don't need full... Dra- What's a heat map? <laughs> All right, just a quick You know one. what I'd love, by the way, with a heat map? What? You know how it tracks a player? Yeah. You know, sometimes players need to go off to go to the toilet. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if the heat map just <laughs> had a little line of him going up the race, yeah. then into a toilet? It's like Frank Drebin being mic'd up on the naked gun and going out for a, a pit stop uh, during a press conference. Or Homer, we've now got the, you know, when he's in his home, there he is on slowly rotisserying and was a chicken in the oven. Look at him sweating. <laughs> All right, now quickly, you want to uh, bring up something about the umpires being mic'd up. Which I really like. You know, I think it's a, it, it can be almost humorous, fun. I don't quite know how the dynamic works, because it's not all the umpires all the time. Somebody must have their finger on the button. Uh, 
I reckon that, yeah, well, we don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty sure they'd have all three field umpires. Yeah, I think they're mic'd up. up, but sometimes it's They just... don't always hit hit it. Yeah, they yeah. there are certain go-to umpires. And we've got a couple Ray of favourites. Cham- we've got a couple of favourites from the last week or so. Du Bois in the Essendon St Kilda game. Yeah. It was Zaharakis. Got a free kick against him. He said, how about last week? And he just runs in. The umpire goes... I wasn't there last week. I'm just trying to get these ones right. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's good. Well, I like the one. Uh, there was one in the GWS Adelaide game the week before when Ray uh, was when uh, Josh Kelly was being taken off, I think. Yeah. Was that last week? I'm getting yeah, confused. Yeah, last, last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, there was a hole up in play while the stretcher came on and Ray Chamberlain's borrowing the drink bottle and whatever. And then Phil Davis was going in to have a crack at Tex Walker. And Ray pulls him aside and he goes, uh, now, Phil, Phil, remember how you asked me to do that thing earlier on? Well, now I'm asking you to do something, mate. Just go away. And you could just see the whole audience going, hang on, what was Phil Davis <laughs> asking you to do? That's a bit sus. <laughs> it's, the, the only caveat I have on this is the miking of goal umpires. Because that mic's only turned on to make them seem like complete idiots. I think the ball went through for a point, but I just want to make sure that it went through for a point. Hey, well, thank you very much. Hey, speaking of going, Pies, did you see Chelsea Roffey get absolutely bowled over and just bounce back up to her feet at the weekend? And it, it always goes back to, what was his name, Harry Harris or... Oh, 66 grand final. Yeah, he had the, <laughs> Looked like he'd been shot. Yeah, and he had the same first name as surname. It was one of those names. <laughs> that, that is great footage. If you ever look for it, uh, I think it's on the newsreel footage of the 66 grand final, the goal umpire just sort of dramatically sort of staggering and then falling over. It was like Harold Harris or Edward Edwards or something like that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of the uh, umps being mic'd and hearing that explanation as to why decisions are paid. And I've got to say, Ray Chamberlain cops a lot of flack. I reckon it's made him a lot more likeable yeah, hearing well, that yeah. insight. And he is very likeable. He's a lovely guy, right? We've both yeah. dealt with him. He's a, he's a terrific bloke. You can't help but like and him. I just, I, I, the dynamic's interesting because they can't be mic'd all the time. I mean, there must be moments where an umpire spits a goobie. <laughs> you never hear that. That's true. What about uh, or if they'd been mocking up the umpires back in the days of you know Peter Cameron and, and Rowan Sawyers and Glenn James? Because oh, I've, never, I've never forgotten that uh, never forgotten that day at the West Noble uh, Footscrow playing Collingwood and Peter Cameron got reported by Shane Kerrison. <laughs> <laughs> Shane Kerrison reported Peter Cameron for abusive language to him. He didn't get weeks for it though, funnily enough. Uh, by the way, that umpire was Steve Stevens. Steve Stevens. Oh, he OAM. Was, is that right? For services to go umpiring? Acting. <laughs> well, Steve Stevens was also Billy Idol's uh, lead guitarist. He's a bit of a virtuoso. All right, that's enough for me to watch this week. Let's talk about the games in round 22. On Footyology. Previews with Punch. Rightio, massive round, obviously, with finals in the balance and it kicks off the MCG. Big one, Friday night, the Tigers and the Bombers. Uh, injury concerns with both, uh, Finey. Uh, the injury plague starting to hit the Tigers now. Presti, big doubts about him with a hamstring. And Kane Lambert, um, some minor surgery there. So he'll be out uh, for the last two games of the home and away rounds. Bombers have their concerns too. Fantasia, massive loss. He's out with a hamstring. Doubts about Hooker and Goddard. Um, both. How about Saad? Uh, Saad, they reckon, is okay. 
So there's a bit of a, th- a theory here, isn't there, that Richmond have just about got, they've certainly, they have tied up top two, just about got top spot tied up, doesn't really matter. So is this the one where they just let their guard down a bit and the Bombers, of course, have to win? Uh, I think that's a pretty sound theory, actually, and I reckon Essendon are playing pretty decent football, but I just, I just think Richmond continues to get the job done. They, and I, I was, uh, I had a bird's eye view of their dismantling of Essendon earlier in the season, and that was after the Bombers had turned, started to turn their season around too. They just couldn't cope with that wall of defenders that Richmond had behind the ball. Uh, and the Tigers' pressure. So uh, I'm going for Richmond. I think Essendon will give them a real run for their money, but I'm still going for Richmond. Yeah, in the, 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 the big question here is how motivated Richmond is. The motivation comes from within that so many players know that there are a, a fringe of players. Look, everybody's expected to be right for the finals. They'll have no Prestia this week as well. He'll be rested. That's already been telegraphed by Neil Baum. But, you know, Sam Lloyd will come in potentially. You know, you've got guys who are on the periphery who are very good footballers, giving their chance. That being said, they shy-act against Gold Coast last week, a word less commonly used. I don't think it's a great build-up for this game. I think Essendon can, can nick this one. I'm going to go for the other sash in the clash yeah, of the sash. I'll yeah. go red sash. Yeah, no, I think a few people will. All right, uh, another massive game at the G Saturday afternoon, Collingwood and Port Adelaide. And the Pies have been battling injuries all year. Uh, the power now filling them. And start of a show, we were talking about Port's injuries. The one guy very remiss me not to mention this bloke too because he's very important to them, Jared Pollock. He looks like he's going to miss too with hamstring issues. So um, I can't see how Port wins with no Dixon, no Pollock, no Ryder. They don't. They lose. Uh, which is basically pretty much the end of them. Um, they've got Essendon in the last round at home, but I, I think Port to make the eight are going to have to win both those games. So, And Collingwood will welcome back a couple of key players. So who comes back for the Pies? Jeremy Hull yep. is expected to play. And I wouldn't be surprised if they play Tyson Goldsack. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, geez, it's been a long time out for him. All right, so we're both going for the pies there. Uh, this one, not so high stakes, well, for one team anyway. The Cats playing Fremantle down at GMHBA Stadium. Uh, Cats obviously need to win. Um, Frio gave us a massive nudge last year. Remember, they? Uh, I think it was only a point the Cats won by in the end. And, of course, that famous, famous final. 2013 qualifying final win. I don't know, I wax and wane a bit with the Dockers. Some weeks I look at them and I think, yeah, look, some of these young guys are coming along well. Cam McCarthy's starting to play some okay footy, isn't he? Brennan Cox has been uh, had a pretty good season for them. Other times I look at them, and you've talked about them sometimes, perhaps putting the cue in the rack for when the difficulty factor is a bit high. What do you think will happen with this one? I'm think, going for the Cats. I think they'll have a crack in this game, actually, because... They were putting their queue in the rack to preserve themselves for games at home and for some other reason. Well, there's only two games left in the season. Mm. They may as well go balls out. Yeah. I'm tipping... Not to, literally, I hope. I'm tipping sort of competitive till half-time and then overrun by 40. Yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds about right. I just want to comment. David Mundy, a couple of years ago, he looked 
as though he was just starting to come off his best football. Yeah, he's had a renaissance. Very good football this year. Yeah, no, he's been excellent for yeah, him. Yeah, Inspired never, uh, choice as captain. So. Never write off a champion. Before he relinquished it. Why did they? He, yeah, I don't know. Well, I thought he was a pretty good captain, actually. Why did he give that up? To concentrate on greyhound ownership. He owns greyhounds. Does he? Yep. You'd know that. I do. Um, all right, uh, battle of, is this Battle of the Bridge? GWS v Sydney, massive again in terms of finals. Um, both need to whistle that dunner. You know, the bridge on the river choir. That oh, yeah. Yeah, they both teams have come out to that. The Battle of the Bridge. We were going to keep this really tight and game specific, and we've just lapsed into the bridge over the river choir. Um, now, you made a really good point off air, which we need to make now, which is that uh, for all we talk about Alex Johnson, and obviously it's a shocking story, but the real huge blow for them was the injury to Nick Smith. They reckon he's out for the year. Yeah, well... Six weeks. That's massive best, for him. You know, if they somehow contrived and crafted a way into the grand final, maybe, but he's done. Yeah. No, that that, that is... He he's given a, a lockdown role each week. Now GWS doesn't necessarily have a small forward, but he he's given a key role every week that he will not be able to not be able to be filled. Well, don't forget uh, the Giants have got their injury issues too. Heath Shaw now out until you know, well, unless they make preliminary grand final stage. Josh Kelly, you'd have to think he's a bit unlikely. Um, Sam Reid, you know, he's not he's not. In their best. Oh, he's important to them. Yeah, he well... He plays a similar lockdown role. Well, he misses this week. Yep. Um, so a massive injury list for them. Dawson Simpson big. Yeah. How do you see this one panning out? This is really a battle of the two wounded pre-season likely challengers for Richmond. It might come down to a bit of buddy magic. I don't think there's a lot between them. And I know that is deferring to the friggin' obvious... But they're going to put a lot through, Buddy Franklin. I'm, I'm going to tip the Swans here. Yeah, I'm staying with the Giants. I reckon their form is pretty compelling. What is it? Eight out of nine, I think. Um, Swans a bit sort of stop-start. And Hannabry was good coming back last week. Yeah, no, he was good. It was a good win. It was a good win. Jeez, they've been that much better on the road than at home this year. It's bizarre, isn't it? Yes. All right, another derby of sorts. Uh, the Queensland, the Q Clash. That's right. That's what they call it. Gold Coast. What a battle for a name that is. Gold Coast taking on, uh, makes you think of those cotton things, doesn't it? Cotton buds, q I, I thought it was like a billiards. Today on Q Clash, billiards champion Harold White takes on snooker star. Oh, I you can say Eddie Charlton versus Cliff. Thorburn. Of Canada. Yeah, stop um, derailing us, will you? Uh, Remember Gold... Bill Webberdick of Canada? No, I don't. Gold Coast He and... played with beer. He was allowed to have beer while he played. Gold Coast and Brisbane at Metricon Stadium. Uh, Brisbane, I've really liked their second half of the season. Uh, I thought they were pretty good even against the Pies. They dropped away towards the end. Um, Gold Coast, what did they do last week? I'm having trouble remembering, to be perfectly frank. <laughs> what did Gold Coast do last week? Uh, Gold Coast played Richmond and allowed oh, the smashed. Jack Rewald show to become a Correct. Uh No, so Brisbane wins this Q clash pretty comfortably in my book. Well, the only Q in this clash will be the one to get out of the ground before the final siren. Brisbane comfortably. Okay. Uh, the <laughs> um, Now, here's a, the Silk Miller Cup, is it, they play for St Kilda Very important. and Hawthorne? That is important. And if, Very for those important. unaware... Um, uh, Gary Silk and Rod Miller, the two yeah, police who were 
gunned down in uh, Cheltenham in, in 1999. In Cochrane. Cochrane. I was working in Cochrane's Road. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, horrible. Horrible thing. So they play for the Silk Miller yeah, Cup. Which is very um, Saints. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of life about them last week against the Bombers, was there? And the Hawks, another great win in a hugely important uh, clash over Geelong. I think it's all starting to fall into place for the Hawks. I think they'll have a really good win. They will have a good win. And St Kilda, interesting last week to see Lewis Pearce in the ruck. He was returned to the AFL from that far away because he wasn't even playing for Sandringham. He's playing for Frankston, which is really odd. And I thought he competed quite well. Just shows there's not a lot of difference between Hickey, Longer and Pierce. So something for Saints fans <laughs> to look at while their team gets annihilated. Geez, Rowan Marshall's a big boy, isn't he? He's a good kid. Yeah. No, when you're, like, when you're boundary side, geez, you see how big some of those guys are. Did you are. holler for him at any time? I, did, I didn't know, but I did when I went later to uh, do the wash-up for SEN because... Our open line is um, you give us a holler, a holler for a Marshall Battery, uh, marshallbatteries.com.au, Liquorland. We've got a drink for that. And get uh, your Macca's footy, five ninety five with any purchase. And you only have to say that how many times? Oh, about 20, sir. Um, that's all right. <laughs> that pays the bills fine. Hey, it's, it's a commercial radio station, more power to no, it. No, no, it's very important. It is. No, is. I've been quite serious here, and we know, we know you guys listening, I'm not, Sort of talking that down at all. It is very important. All right, uh, Sunday, Carlton and the Western Bulldogs at Eddie Head Stadium, one ten p.m. Bulldogs, Mark Arthur, Cup. Uh, <laughs> Bulldogs uh, back in town. Finally, I, I reckon they're playing some. Uh, that was a really good win over the Roos, and of course, yeah. their second half against your boys the week before was pretty good. The Mojo sort of coming back and. Uh, Blues were okay early over in Perth against the Dockers, but it sort of ended there. What happens here, you think? Oh, but the Bulldogs enjoying a bit of late season. So North isn't an easy kill. That was a great game. But they got the kill against St Kilda. They'll get the kill against Carlton. And in doing so, they will continue the development of players less likely. And that's the good news. And I'm not just talking about Richards and Gowers. I'm now talking mm. about Lynch and that guy that you liked. That Le- you, you noticed uh, a... a, a that um, Fraser... Oh, yeah. Um, Malcolm Fraser. <laughs> Fraser Green. Green. Yeah, he was, he's a smart yeah. smart player. Well, and uh, Lipinski. Get, don't don't forget Lipinski. They get a chance because of the injuries, and it's good. Don't you reckon Lipin- yeah. <laughs> Lipinski's like a character out of Goma Pile or something? Lipinski! <laughs> get over here now! <laughs> Sends him to the quartermaster yeah, store. It, it's, it's private Lipinski. Yeah, it is private yeah, Lipinski. To me, he fills a bet on, <laughs> he fills a bet on MASH. Yeah. Shot himself in the foot. Frank Burns hates him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone hates Frank Burns. Don't you laugh, Carl. You don't even know who Frank Burns is. You're too young. Frank Burns eats worms. Who's Frank Burns? Oh, very good. Oh, my apologies to Carl. Carl just got his voice on here. <laughs> uh, no, I, I didn't realise you were that old, Carl. Um, all right, let's go to... Uh, my kids think, think MASH is a cooking show. <laughs> <laughs> West Coast taking on Melbourne at uh, Optus Stadium and uh, another hugely important game. West Coast, they win this and they do officially tie up a top two spot. Demons could still feasibly miss the eight. They've got to win um, this game or GWS in the final round. And, uh, yeah, I reckon their spirits be pretty low after that hugely important loss at the hands of the Swans. Uh 
actually, Melbourne had a fant- This was almost their best win of the season last year. Of course, it was a different ground, Subiaco, but they did overpower the Eagles in that uh, Saturday night game last year. Uh, they've had some reasonable wins on the road, actually, beating Adelaide there and, um, you know, backs to the wall stuff for them, but I, I can't tip against the Eagles at home. Melbourne are wins. Okay, why? Because West Coast have been brave in the face of players missing. But I often find when key players go down, it's sort of, it's got a bit of a, a, a stone in the pond effect. The, the, the circles get bigger sort of a couple of weeks out, three weeks out, four weeks out when it really hits home. Yeah. So, you know, three or four weeks without Natanui and all the, all the goodwill to Scott Lysette might disappear if Gorn gets hold of him. I just think Melbourne team balances well against uh, the Eagles, and their big problem is sort of outside run, and that without Gaff is less of a danger. All right, no big call, but it's, uh, you know, you've argued the case well, and round 22 finishes up with the Crows. Adelaide taking on North Melbourne, 4.40pm Melbourne time at Adelaide Oval. Um, well, this is my upset of the week. I'm going for the Roos. Now, the odds are they're not going to... That is interesting. They're not going to make the eight now, but um, while there's life, there's hope. And I think uh, they really... I think on the road, they've been pretty reasonable. And they, you know, they've got a good sort of backs-to-the-wall ethos about them. I think they'll be really pissed off about dropping that game last week. Conversely, the Crows, uh, no Taylor Walker, which I know you think will be a plus for them. Which is why I'm tipping Adelaide. Um yeah, well, there's always that theory with sides. Once their finals chance are over, their pressure's off and they play yeah, with yeah. gay abandon. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I think I think the Roos can win this one. So I'm going for them. I'm going for gay abandon or LGBT abandon. Any form of abandon Don't. you want. Yep. No, I'm just having a bit of fun. Yep. Um, yeah, I just think... I think North now know they're done. They yeah. are done. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, they've got to make up. It's a like, fair bit of percentage. It's like before the game, Brad Scott will be imploring the fact that, you know, mathemat- we're still very much a chance, yeah. and that'll fall on deaf ears. They know they can't make well, it. Well, they're more of a chance than Essendon uh, in terms of, you know, sort of distance between them and the eight. So, yeah. Well, um, I hope North win because I'd like St Kilda to play North while North is still a chance last game. Yep. Why? Just made, because... <laughs> If there's going to be a test of Alan Richardson, yeah. let it be against Hawthorne and North that need to win yeah, yeah. and need to win by a lot. Yeah, no, fair enough. All right, so you're going for Adelaide. Yeah, I'm, I'm going, going for North Adelaide. Melbourne. That is previews with Punch. Let's bring it on home. On Footyology, never again. All right, I'm going to make this short and sweet, Finey. So I sat in the outer last Friday night, the St Kilda Wrestling game. I was starving, hadn't eaten all day and uh, got there just uh, not long before the start, but uh, enough time to grab myself something to eat. So I whipped out the uh, American Express card because you need that when you buy food at the footy those <laughs> days. I got, uh, it was a decent sort of Kransky dog thing. That was okay. Lay it up with mustard and sauce. But I really wanted a pie. Anyway, I went to the uh, pie warmer. Why is it? I reckon the only place consistently I see overcooked pies is at AFL football games. Is there any worse thing to eat than an overcooked pie? So I saw it, and it had that sort of ominous-looking dark brown crust, and then I sort of tapped the bottom of it. Yep, rock hard. Uh, For some reason, I just I so badly wanted a pie, I just dived in and got it anyway and thought, nah, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. 
bit into it. It was absolute crap. The meat was sort of congealed to the bottom of the overcooked pastry. It was like rock. I nearly broke my teeth on it. It was such a disappointment. There is nothing as bad to eat at the footy as an overcooked pie. They've got to be moist. They've got to be juicy. They've got to be soft. There's got to be some give in the pastry. And there was none of that finey. So half eaten, I discarded my shocking pie and vowed to never again give in to temptation when my own um, visual and oral cues told me that this was a pie not to be touched. Yes, Rita Ehrlich. Oh, yeah, Rita Ehrlich from The Age. Age Good Food Guy. Yeah, don't say that name. Uh, No, 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 Rita Ehrlich's fine. Uh, Go on, (laughs) you're never again. I get it. Um, My never again is, do you, you you would not know this band, even though you were into music in the 80s? Well, you mean I was, I am. They had one single, and it was a great single. They were an American punk band called Romeo Void. Oh, yeah? No, I remember the name, but what what was the song? Never Say Never. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the girl, that yeah, real yeah. sort of catty. Uh, well, she she actually. I don't. What was it? I don't mind. No, um, never, never say yeah, never. Yeah, yeah, but she was Dum, real da, sort of sleazy. Da, da, da. Yeah, yeah. Well, she was. A That's right. I had brass. Anyhow, she actually was. Look, she was not your cookie cutter um, singer, as far as females go. She was quite. She was a bit chunky, heavy. Yeah, and she became quite famous for taking up the cause of talent over over um you know looks yeah quant- quality over over substance over over appearance that's the premise we've operated from is fine yeah go so on. never say never i i said when i hung up my whistle at the end of last year that i would never umpire again yeah. you know i had my run at it and i really enjoyed it yeah but i'm umpiring again next week oh well done the curtain raiser to the North Melbourne St Kilda game is a St Kilda Legends game. Oh, yeah. And I'll be taking the field with Steve McBurney and Derek Humphrey-Smith. Oh, jolly good. As I've done previously, and it's great fun. So never say never, because I'm umpiring again. Very quickly, I've played in two St Kilda Legends games. Yep. Uh, they had a Legends v Media. They had one in 1990. Yep. They were both fundraisers. <laughs> yeah. One in 1990 when I was 25, so I was still reasonably able and enjoyed that, yeah, kicked yeah. a couple in that. Yeah. And then there was one in 1995 on a Friday night in front of a packed yeah. Moorabbin. And uh, I kicked a goal on that too, actually. But the highlight of that game for a lot of people was Andy Marr getting knocked out not once but twice by Mad Dog Robbie Muir on the Moorabbin wing. Did you ever play in those media games between channels? Oh, yeah. Herald and Age um, uh, HB. Herald Sun, we used to have them all the time. So I was working Channel 7, we had a game at Moorabbin against Channel 10. Yeah. And it was a hard-fought oh, game. Oh, yeah, no, they fought. And I was still quite fit then. You know, yeah. I was, and I, I was decent, and I was playing off the half-back line. Yeah. And we had real problem with the Channel 10 full forward. So for the last quarter and a half, I played on the full forward, who yeah. twice climbed on my back. Like, I really had him on the, at the, I was playing quite well. Twice I lost him, and I swear both times he got up on my shoulders. <laughs> really? The aforementioned Andrew Marr. 
Oh, yeah. No, he could play. Oh, mate, he kicked about seven goals. He yeah. was the difference between... And, and people go, get, you know, get... It's bloody Andrew Marr. Yeah. I'm saying, he can bloody play. Yeah, Let me yeah, alone. Yeah. Well, I played... My first time I ever saw Mark Robinson, actually, was in one of those. I was playing for... He could play a bit, couldn't Yeah, he? he could play a bit, but he actually got sent off in a social <laughs> game. Absolutely spat the dummy about something and got sent off. So that was my introduction to Robbo. Okay, uh, those who uh, can't do... Talk about it, which is what we do a lot of. We're done here. Um, hope you enjoyed that. Have a great weekend of footy, everyone. Massive uh, ramifications for the eight, which we'll talk about on Footyology TV live on Sunday night, 7.30pm on my Facebook page, Rowan Connolly AFL. Look out for that. We'll catch you next week.